Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what I want? <laughs> Not Samsung, Greg. Not Samsung. Not what? Not Samsung. Hey everybody, welcome to Outside Looking In, which is the podcast series wherein myself, Samson Folk, talks to 29 different people from 29 different markets to get their opinion on the Raptors from the outside looking in, and also my opinion, etc., on you know the team they cover. First of which is Matt Brooks, who was here last season to talk about the oh, embroiled in controversy mercurial Brooklyn Nets. May not necessarily got traded at the you know the trade deadline, but shortly before the playoffs started, he takes a job covering the Denver Nuggets. He is the writer for the Denver Nuggets, the team. He covered the whole playoff run. Hardly anything bad or controversial happened. It's just been good times over there. I just want you to walk me through it. You covered a championship run. Raptors fans, we've been kind of We've had a bit of controversy of our own over here. Let's hear some good stuff. Tell us the story of the Nuggets. Yeah, I was, I was a buyout signing. You know, me and Reggie Jackson just showed up end of March, March right to the finals. No, it was fun. Um, you know, I I kind of go back to, I mean, that whole season was so weird. The season started out weird in in July of 2022 because uh, I spent the whole summer uh, doing various shows, radio shows like this. Um, talking about Durant's Kevin Durant's trade request yep. from the Nets that rolls into the season. Nash is gone, I think, after seven games. Then Jacques Vaughn takes over. Um, that there's a Kyrie controversy. Um, then there's they, two, there's two, two Kyrie controversies. Yeah, sure, it always is. Uh, and then, uh, and then they are the Nets are really good in December. I think they're like 12 and two or 12 and three. Uh, that rolls into January. Durant gets hurt, I think, against the Heat, if I remember correctly. February rolls around. Kyrie requests out. Then I, it's February 8th. I think it's the day after my birthday. My phone goes off at 1.30, wakes me up. I'm a light sleeper. Oh, Kevin Durant's been traded to the Suns. And now I'm thinking, well, my job is very different now. I've, I've covered a super team. There's been a lot of eyes on this team. I'm freelance at that point. I'm not full time. And I'm like, well, that's, it certainly helps to have a team with lots of stars on it. Now this team is kind of in flux. Watch first couple weeks of the, uh, the bridges, Cam Johnson team. Um, and then lo and behold, I hear from the nuggets. I'd been in contact with them for a little while. Um, and, and this job comes to fruition end of March, move out, cover a back to back to start out. Uh, dealing with the time difference, altitude, you name it. Uh, final two weeks of the regular season or whatever. And then we go into the playoffs and I start traveling and lo and behold, all the way to the finals. And by the end of it, you know, I'm watching the championship celebration, something that I've watched on TV ever since I've watched basketball. 
uh, but it's in front of me and it's a wild <laughs> feeling. And then after that, uh, got to be in the locker room during the celebration. Um, and then there's the parade. So I moved really fast. was a lot of information. There were ups, downs, and everything in between. But uh, the payout was incredible. And I just think for me, like, I'm sure like all of us writers, we have things that are on our vision board, things we want to do, achieve. I never really had like cover a championship or be there for a championship celebration on my board. It just wasn't there. But I think that's why I was so exciting was that I didn't, I didn't expect any of that. That wasn't something I was like sitting around hoping would happen. And then because it happened, it just meant a little bit more uh, just because it's something unexpected. So it was really cool. Um, and I, you know, worked for a long time, covered a different team that had a lot of ups and downs and was freelance and worked in restaurants and really any job I could find for four, five years. So that being the payout was really exciting. And uh, it, it made the whole journey worth it. Not to be like too cliche, but it really did. It was a great way to like, feel like not only I reached the precipice of being full time, but having something that I never thought could happen in my life occur in the first couple of months was just, I don't know. I don't know if you could like write a better story. Yeah, it's great. Did it, has it changed tangibly your relationship with basketball at all? Yeah, for sure. Um, made me like appreciate it more. And also just made me understand in a way, like what I knew how much went into the journey and how long the season is and how many ups and downs there were, but I just hadn't seen the payout in a way. And like what that feels like for a player. I mean, I, I obviously can't but you, feel you it. You were there in the, the very intimate settings. Yes. I'm there when these guys are on the podium, like champagne drunk and I'm seeing like what it means to to the players and i'm seeing how not just that but like how a city responds to that um and just how much joy there is in the whole process um you know and it it made me appreciate basketball for that for the joy aspect um i'd seen it in spurts i'd seen you know the nets when they had Harden, Kyrie, kd you saw spurts of what that joy was like but there was also more odds than not, disappointment, frustration, drama. Um, so to see like that, that unfiltered joy was something that I, I just like, I've never been around and it made you really appreciate like the journey. So for me now, I'm looking at next year. I'm really excited for that next season. Uh, one, because it'll be my first full year with the Nuggets, but two, because I now am going into the preliminary stages, training camp, preseason knowing kind of like oh hey that's what it's like at the end like that's what the payout is for the team for the city and I just hadn't experienced that so that adds a lot of like excitement and and things to look forward to for me um, and just I'm sure for the team as well heading into the year and with a team that could very reasonably you know repeat I think that's a, a really cool aspect of it too we'll table that and we'll kind of because we will talk about the Nuggets kind of projecting what a repeat looks like, how fantastic, you know, that team is going to keep growing into. But the Raptors. So the Raptors were a team that I talked to so many people about them prior to the season doing this very same podcast series. Nobody said they were going to miss the playoffs. Not not a single person thought. And I, I think over half of the people that I talked to viewed them as either four and higher in the conference or hanging around a five, six seat. They were expected to be a good team. They were not a good team. 
they didn't even make the playoffs. They choked away, you know, the the nine ten playing game, um, famously with the Art Rosen uh, screaming in the background, at, which is funny and good and all that kind of stuff. They fired their coach, Nick Nurse, gone. They bring in Darko Ryakovich, mm-hmm. who, by all accounts, seems like he's extremely well liked, magnanimous, good guy, and Fred Van Vliet, an absolute pillar of the team, a past championship. He leaves. They draft, you know, like I think a home run at the 13th pick, Grady Dick. We'll see what happens. He's certainly a big personality. And uh, Pascal Siakam has been absolutely embroiled in trade rumors. <laughs> There's a lot going on. I got to know from the outside looking in. That's the name. What do you think about these Raptors? It's weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird. It's a good probably starting point. I look at the team that I covered in February. There's some parallels in a way where even though you look at the Nets, they tore it down, they blew it up. They finally had a direction in a way, and it actually worked out really well from them. They The Durant trade was like a home run, like getting somebody back in Bridges who's foreseeably a star player, and there's no reason to believe he won't be able to produce – at the level he was last year, um, getting that back plus all the picks, that gives you direction. And now you look at their offseason, they're taking flyers on guys like Dennis Smith Jr. Um, Harry Giles is on a non-guaranteed deal. Like just guys that are just going to see if they can replicate the magic they had with the pre-Kyrie KD team. You know, finding Joe Harris and Spencer Dinwiddie on the scrap heap. They have a direction, right? Like maybe they're not going to be the worst team in the league and get the number one pick. I mean, they don't even have the picks, but um, they're also not going to be a top end team. They're going to hover somewhere in the middle, but they're like, there's a direction, you know, kind of what they're doing. They're trying to, you know, be competitive enough, but also, Hey, let's see if we can unearth some guys. I feel like we're in the preliminary stages of that with Toronto. We'll see if that actually gets there all the way, but I at least feel like there's more direction four months ago. And I could be wrong, but it's a new voice starting to pick up, you know, guys just outside the lottery in the draft. You're going a direction. We'll see if it gets all the way there. Do you move OG? Do you move Pascal? We'll see. But, like, it feels like we're in the preliminary stages of that. Um, And that's a good thing, I think, as, like, a fan or even just somebody covering the team. It's so awkward being in that middle ground. And I know that firsthand, going back to last summer, just being, like, is this team going to blow up? Like they still have Nash, like Durant's got a trade request in like Kyrie's now picked up his player option. It was just like, there was so much going on in a way and you kind of felt like it was going to combust at some point, just even pulling the plug at a certain point was kind of like a breath of relief in a way. Um, I, to me, and I could be wrong. I, I don't know. I'm not in Toronto. I don't cover the team, but from the outside looking in, it feels like we're getting the early stages of like a trajectory and and just a direction. That's well, that's the interesting part, right? Is that if you change that direction, it might not be a direction that's headed towards a championship, which is every, every fan says they like, as long as we're on the path to a championship or feasibly on the path to a championship. But I think the sigh of relief comes from there are no expectations yeah, like you haven't been able to build expectations for the new iteration of the team just yet. When Michael Bridges shows up and it's Cam Johnson, and it's like, okay, there's possessions, 
there's calories here. Who's eating? What's it look like? You you just guys start eating a meal. You see the meal before you. It's like, hey, I guess like this is food. And, you know, it's not the food that I hated before. And, you know, you'll eventually most fans eventually grow to dislike the food in front of them once again. But at least you get to cook for a little while. You get to eat for a little while. I don't know which metaphor I'm going with. It's new ingredients, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They might not be like as healthy of ingredients. Like you might be some more trans fats or whatever in the – we're going really deep into this. Uh, But, yeah, at least it's like the appeal of just new or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like how front offices can sell a rebuild. Why? Because you're bringing in new talent every year. There's new players that you can get excited about. Versus if you just have the same core over and over and over and that core reaches ceiling, that feeling becomes stale, you know? Um, So I I think in a way, yeah, you know, Brooklyn, sure, they might not, that that team might not look the same again in a year. um, And they might move off some guys and they might try to go younger or whatever, but at least it's a new group and it's something that you can, sell fans on but not even just sell fans like have something new in the building and new personalities new styles and just see how those styles mesh uh, mesh together in a way I'll, i'll ask you though do you think that toronto as currently constructed is in the middle the top or the bottom i mean the east is weird i know it's such a cop out but like they're really it's a strange conference i'd probably say the bottom though um because I, I do think there's going to be more moves made and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It just, it feels like the preliminary stages of a retool, I guess, in a way um, just with Grady and, and uh, Scotty there, you kind of see what the future looks like. Um, now maybe those guys come along faster than I expect. And all of a sudden your retool goes from here to here, but I would probably say the bottom personally like playing, hovering around there? It's, I'd be pretty impressed. Given what I, when I look at the personnel, I look at how they're going to have to play offense. I look at how good they'll have to be on defense to kind of make up for those gaps. I think if they're a play-in team, they're succeeding at quite a few unique things. Yes. And they're, they're able to, especially since there's quite a lack of shooting with the like the collection of their best players, you have Jakob Pertl, you have Scotty Barnes, you have Pascal Siakam. All three of those guys, if there are no changes, are going to start. And having three, Scotty is a complete non-shooter. Yep. At, cur- currently, maybe he comes in the season. Who knows? You know, you can always change things. Some guys take big steps. Some guys take small steps. Some guys take no steps over a summer. Um, Pascal Siakam is a passable three-point shooter, and Jakob Pertl will never take a three-point shot and schroeder is not like a i wouldn't say he's a like a sniper like that's well, <laughs> and also he might not even be in the starting lineup yeah like that's not a he he could be like he yeah especially people watching the world cup and watching him ball out are probably thinking like this guy could get a starting job on a you know yeah. a team in the bottom half of the eastern conference and um but it's it's entirely possible that we see scotty Barnes lineup at point guard and Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi rounded out. But regardless, there's just not a lot of shooting on the floor. They can find some with transitional lineups, but as far as like who they're walking out there to play a lot of minutes, it's going to be be really tough for them to navigate that. 
what Darko Ryakovic can cook up as far as offensive philosophy and kind of some of the staple actions they're going to run. I'm very interested to see what advantages they're trying to repeatedly create. You know, are you trying to get cutters in motion because they're you have more size in the middle of the lineup, your wings, mm-hmm. as moving targets towards the rim? Are you really trying to lean on cutting? It's tough because teams will just sink. Yeah, maybe maybe that doesn't work. Do you try and lean on post ups? You can, but do you want to make it into a situation where guys are constantly dealing with post up, double pass out, reassess, all that kind of stuff? It's it's even tougher if guys aren't shooting and can't really press those those doubles that are being sent. And so you wonder like, okay, how are they going to do it? What's it going to look like? Is it going to be bully drives and stuff like that, like it has been for the past however long? Fred Van Vliet is gone. The pick and roll offense will change. Are the wings going to run more pick and roll with teams going under because they don't shoot? It's like, it seems negative and certainly it's headed towards, you know, a negative offense, but you know, hope springs eternal and something unique could happen. Defensively. I think they're going to be really good. I I, want to get your idea on that though. So if I say this to you, Scotty Barnes is out there, Pascal, OG, Let's say Gary Trent Jr. and Jakob Pertl. What In your mind, what does that sound like as a defense? Really good? Really bad? Decent? I mean, really good. Uh, the big thing will be like, I guess like, you do need a baseline level offense. Like, it doesn't even need to be like top half. Like, it can't be like bottom five because then that bleeds into your transition defense, you know, it, inevitably. So, but I, I think you look at that, just those five guys, um, that's a top what, seven defense. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know why they wouldn't be, other than the transition really bleeding into things. That, that was kind of my idea. I was like, I feel like the floor is like top 12 yeah. for the Raptors defense. And something's really not, like, things aren't clicking. They have a lot yeah. of talent out there defensively, a lot of size, but things aren't clicking. Um I could conceivably see them kind of kick their way into the top five. Um, I, but top seven is like, a. I think that's pretty much bang on. Seventh would not surprise me at all. But as far as offense, they like half-court offense, they've been bottom five the past yeah. two seasons. That was with Fred Van Vliet. Some Raptors fans think that getting rid of Van Vliet will definitely help the team do much better. Some people do not agree with that. Some people think that his shooting was a huge benefit, even if he wasn't shooting as well, spacing, gravity, et cetera, um, ball handling, playmaking. Um, there's, you know, different, different ideologies or different competing conceptions, I should say, on who left, what they take with them. I'm excited to see the Raptors still finished, I think 12th in offensive rating at the end of last season, largely due to offensive rebounds and transition. They're going... That's for sure. We don't know about the half court, but we know that the team is going to try and get out and run. And they're also going to try and like crash the offensive glass like hell. Who knows what happens on the defensive glass? Who knows what that kind of looks like? But I do want to look to one thing as far as when we look at Nikola Jokic. He is one of, well, he's not one of, he's the best passer in the world. Mm-hmm. I He always beats the cameraman, he always beats the viewer, and he always beats the team he's playing. So that means you're there's like three different 
angles, three different points of view that aren't seeing the past that you're seeing. And you're constantly making it. It's just a, a very, he's a savant. It's a special type of genius. And he gets a lot of comps. Like people get compared to, I'm, I'm not a comparison fan. Yeah. Not, I like sport to sport. Like Odell Beckham Jr. is this NBA player. I like that too. Yeah. I, I like this. I like inanimate objects to, you know, like, oh, right. this boat is this guy, this car. Like I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, as far as like in sport, I don't know. The players all seem so different. What do you think about the the comps to Jokic? I'm kind of curious on that. I just I don't I don't think you could make the comparison because of his size. But like, I mean, the, the passes he makes and attempts combined with the size, but also combined with the scoring ability. Like that, we don't. I don't know. I don't. Maybe it has been mentioned. Maybe it hasn't. I don't know. But like the fact that he's just a threat from every single level of the floor bleeds so much into his scoring where, you know, he's he's a 40% three-point guy, Kevin Durant-level mid-range shooter. He's got fifth, high 50s, 60% range from floaters, um, hook shots. And then he's the best post-up player in the league. So there's your at-rim scoring. He's like, he's got every single level. He's drawing a crowd at every single level. So whether he's posting up, whether he's short rolling, whether he's popping from three, he's just drawing multiple defenders and he's so good at reading the floor and he's taller than everybody. I don't really know how you compare that. And I really, that's like the secret to it is he's just always drawing a crowd. So it's like, how are you going to make a comparison where you not only have like just to me innate playmaking sense and the ability to read the floor like that, but you also find a guy that's as good of a score as he is top of the league and pretty much everywhere. It's just, I don't know how you find a comp for that. That was, um, I, I, I had picked the nuggets to win last season. And the reason I gave was that you can never stop Nikola Jokic from finding the advantage. Mm -hmm. You know, some players, um, like if it's a live ball creator, you can throw a double at them and force them to like escape dribble, make the pass out and maybe the defense is able to reset, and then the ball is in a less dangerous player's hands, and like, hey, mission accomplished. But Jokic is such a special, like, if you leave him alone with somebody, he will be able to score the ball down low. If you bring somebody, he, you're not just going to bring the double and get the ball out of his hands. He'll make sure the double comes deep enough so that, you know, players can cut around him, the play can develop so that there's an advantage gain no matter what. Or sometimes he can, using ball fakes, putting the ball down, you know, getting a little bit deeper, and then a ball, like, he can scare the double off. He can he can always, always find the advantage. And no matter how teams stunt, no matter how they try and show, you can't outsmart him. Like, once in a while, a play, sure. He'll have an off game every once in a while, sure. But, you know, and the comfortability in the middle of the floor, as you said, the floaters is just like, Trying to put him in a situation where he can't, where he won't be just like an unstoppable engine for the offense, it, it doesn't seem feasible with NBA defense currently. The Raptors, they do, I think, as good a job as anybody, but they rarely ever win. And it's because what they do is like they they front like hell with mm -hmm. a lot of length, but 
they're just like, we can't let him get the ball. And yeah. then if he does get the ball, they put OG Ananobi on him to bother the dribble or to try and, you know, play deny defense above the break so he can initiate. But those are stopgap options. And we've seen, like, Jokic has put up huge numbers against the Raptors. Eventually, that stops working throughout a game. and Every once in a while, they win one, of course. But it's just like, he's unbelievable. Um, what you mentioned about kind of mastering every aspect of the four. I think the coolest thing about Jokic is that if another big man shot as well from three as Jokic did, you would tell that big man, like, you're a stretch you have to lean really hard into this. If you shot as well from the mid-range as Jokic did, you would tell them, like, hey, Brandon Clark, like, just you're a short roll big. Like, you always want to be here. Just keep leaning into this. If there was a post-up player as good as him, you would say, this is what we lean into. You know, keep passing from there. It's just like, but you never tell Jokic to lean into anything. You just tell him, like, go figure it out. And he does it in every quadrant of the floor at an elite level. I can't believe the guy. And somehow... They paired Jamal Murray with him, who is the best outside of like Curry off like off balance shot maker. Like he can mm-hmm. catch on one leg, put a ball down, escape dribble, hit a shot. And it's like he's not a better shooter. Like you you can be in competition with more than just Curry. Like he's not the de facto second best shooter in the league. But as far as being able to bounce off of Jokic and that type of offense, there's very, it's like he and Curry, that's where he becomes in a league of his own is being able to play off of Jokic with that that sense. I just, that pair, that duo, it's insane to me. Yeah, it's demoralizing, right? Because if you, and it's hard, like defending that two-man action, like two-man game is impossible. Hard. And if you do it well, and it, it'll happen, then you have to deal with Murray hitting an insane step back over Anthony Davis, where you're just like, I don't even know what you do about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I like what you mentioned about Toronto and fronting. Um, like you look at the finals. I mean, we talk about to me, Jokic is like a phantom. Like that's kind. Of, he's just got like a. It's it's like haunted almost to try to guard him. Um, you look at the finals and. In the same way that we talk about Jokic with this mystique, we talk about Spolster that way a lot. You know, and I remember just leading into the finals, oh, Spolster is gonna find something, he's gonna stumble on something. You know, there were little inklings of that in the series before the Rui Hachimura adjustment. You know, maybe he can find something like that. And they start out this first game one, Bam Adebayo's fronting. He did he was just really good in that series, but he was really good fronting game one. Um and then as the series unravels, Murray was excellent in that series, especially as a passer. You get to like the fourth or fifth game. I think it was game four. And what Miami settled upon is just blitzing pick and roll and letting Nicola just roam free. And I guess the strategy behind it, I, I, there's a couple ways you could look at it. To me, I looked at it as just like, hey, we're just going to hope that if we blitz Jamal, he'll make a mistake and he'll either turn the ball over or he'll take a shot he shouldn't or whatever. And Jamal's passing just came along so far throughout that postseason that they had no issue. I mean, and they tried everything. They tried zone. They tried, uh, you know, junk defense. They tried, uh, you know, hedging. They tried dropping back in game one with with Bam kind of hanging back a little bit lower. They tried everything. They adjusted the drop. It didn't matter. That two-man game is unstoppable. And – 
Nicole is a huge part of it, but I, I Jamal deserves a ton of credit too for the growth that he made kind of throughout the playoffs and especially in the finals. His Jamal being able to come out on like hyper efficiency, 26 and five or 26 and six over the course mm-hmm. of the playoffs. It's like Jamal is what makes it like, there's no recourse for the defense. And then if you go even a step further, it's like, okay, you overload on, you know, the Jamal Jokic stuff. And then you could completely break the defense if they do a good job by just running like blade with Aaron Gordon curling to the rim. And it's like, there's just a lot to account for. Yeah. And then they're going to have like these gritty guys on the in-between, even Christian Brown, like having a really great knack as a cutter mm-hmm. and a willingness to just fill space and, and you know, really play in tune to, to the stars. Yep. It, it really elevated everybody's game because it's just like, you're working with so many inherent advantages created by these guys, chiefly, Jokic, but Murray, obviously, I think a lot of people underrated him prior to that. Like he, he isn't a high volume guard in the way that a lot of the star guards are because he's, he's so focused on playing next to and kind of in the rhythm of what Jokic creates. But that becomes apparent as one of like the, one of the ultimate skills you can have is can you elevate an MVP player even further? Yes, you can. Yeah. Then like it's easy to see him as like a top 30 NBA player. And and he's also like, you know, an above average guard defender too. He has size. It's like this guy's this guy's incredible. The team is incredible. I do want to talk about though. You've covered now, you know, the the best passing big of all time, the best passer in the league. Uh you've also watched Scotty Barnes. I want to know what you think about him as a passer. I mean, it's it's kind of what I said earlier where it's like because Nicole is creating so many advantages as a scorer, like p- playmaking is a weird thing where I think mm-hmm. generally it's a, it's, it's innate, right? Like you, if you have a passing, you have that like top tier passing gene, you have it. And that's sort of how I've looked at it. You can improve your passing. Uh, good example being Bradley Beal. Like there's, he's been yep. averaging six assists last two years, age 28, 29 season taking a passing leap. He's, he's improved in that. Um, I think Scotty has got like the passing gene. Though. Like he's got that. The difference is like, are you able to create advantages or are you only able to make and showcase your passing abilities, your, that passing gene in certain situations, because that's where you create offensive advantages as a score uh, on the floor. So that's, I think the biggest difference is just the, the, the ability to draw a crowd is so sizable between those two guys. If you're looking at Nikola and, and Scotty, well, that's that's the big thing. I think Jokic and Scotty are two passers who, if there's a broken play, you trust those guys to find the most dangerous pass on the floor. Like, of course, that's what you know the best passers do in the NBA. But and you mentioned Bradley Beal. Why did Bradley Beal take such a big leap as a passer? Is because well, he started running more pick and roll, and he yeah. saw that defenses were tagging the roller. And he got more practice making the skip to the corner and the lay down. And these are, you know, marginal improvements as a passer and don't make him dynamic and unstoppable, but just the guy responding to a defense that's responding to him. Scotty has not even really reached that point of his career yet where he's creating these different defensive responses, but he's at almost five assists a game as a guy who's just like in the mix, mm-hmm. in broken plays, in transition on quick touches, finding guys, making these dangerous keyhole passes. And 
Yeah, I think no comparison, but I like that you just attach passing gene to both of those guys. And then making your passing dangerous, you get to a certain point. Ben Simmons got there. Speaking of a guy you got to cover, but mm-hmm. not really got to cover. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's that's a guy who he met the limit of his playmaking because he couldn't put his he couldn't put himself in more dangerous playmaking positions. Scotty is hopefully on the precipice of doing that. That's one thing I'm very interested to see. Um, you mentioned earlier at the start what the Raptors do with OG or Pascal. If you're the you want to put on the the GM cap. Who, who's uh, who are you trying to who are you prioritizing as far as keeping between those two? Uh, I mean, I'm I've always been pretty like aggressive about if you're retooling, you should do it and move everybody that you can. I just think there's more inherent value in having more bites at the apple, whether that's getting young players back um, or or draft picks that fit your timeline a little bit better. It's it's important to have vets. It's important to have guys that know what they're doing, but if you're not really picking one direction or the other, I, I'd try to move both, but it's not always the right thing to do. I just think for me generally, I'm like, all right, if we're committing to a retool rebuild, let's commit, you know? <laughs> that's so OG and Pascal, that's like tear down. That's the that's the full thing. I think you could make the case like you could maybe maybe it's not necessarily true. It's all about messaging for front offices anyway. But sure. I think you if Pascal goes, you could with fans, you, they could say, well, the fit with Scotty was clunky. Yes. And this allows us to surround him with more shooting and kind of lean into that. And the defense should still be in a good spot. Maybe this team can still be kind of spunky and good despite trading, you know, an all NBA player. Maybe. It's not just picks that come back. Maybe there's an interesting player or something like that. But if OG and Pascal both go, like you, you can't turn and say we're trying to be good because there's just there you have an All NBA player and uh, you know one of the best three and D players in all of the NBA. I think that would be a tough a tough sell for fans who want competitiveness. Because I'll tell you this much, you and I, I am lower on the Raptors heading into the season than, you know, some fans, and you're definitely lower on them than some fans. But some fans think this team is going to be, you know, demonstrably better Mm. than last season. And, you know, a mixture of the reallocation of offensive possessions, more size and success on defense, and the Darko Ryakovich, you know, special sauce, whatever it is. And I hope, God... I mean, you just talked about it covering, you know, a team that is like, what the hell's going on versus covering a team that's good. It's like, hey, I'm enjoying this yeah. one over here. I hope I'm so wrong about this team, you know, not being super impressive or anything like that. But it's tough to it's tough to look at the roster right now in the uncertainty around them and um, sell myself on them being I- impressive. But if they are, I mean, I- I'd love to see it regardless, though. Uh, I'm looking forward to the matchups against the the Nuggets this season. Any uh any parting shots on the Nuggets that you think Raptors fans should know about before we get out of here? Um, whew, things to watch for? Anything like that? Yeah, anything you want. All right. Well, I'll say for me, I'm really excited for this season. Um, first full year covering them, which will be fun. But it's a unique team, right? We know what the starting five is. They're all locked in until 2025. 
30 and younger. I think the oldest member of their starting core sounds is, like three championships to me. <laughs> I don't know KCP is the, the oldest member of their starting core. So 30 years old, locked in. But you just turn on the Nuggets this year. One, to see really good basketball, best starting lineup in basketball. However, the back end of their rotation is uncertain. Um, a lot of first and second year guys that I think have a chance to play meaningful minutes. Um, only vets on the team right now are Justin Holiday, Reggie Jackson, DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan didn't play a lot in the playoffs or even in the regular season. Huge vocal force for them. Reggie Jackson didn't really play. Presumably going to get more opportunity. Justin Holiday, newcomer, been on a couple teams the last couple of years. There are just a lot of young guys to watch on this team, which is really unique for a championship contender and a team that's now trying to run it back. It's unique, right? Like we've seen Golden State try to do this. Didn't work as well. They move off uh, James Wiseman, Jordan Poole. Denver's situation is different, though, because they've brought in a bunch of experienced college players, guys that went to school for three to five years from this year's draft. Christian Brown, uh, he's 20, 21 now. Um, they're really the, young, the only young guy, kind of greener guy is Peyton Watson. All of these guys are going to be vying for spots in the rotation. And it'll be really interesting to see how Malone's able to put together a rotation in time for the playoffs with presumably one or two young guys. Christian Brown feels like the obvious guy that's going to be in there. Uh, you know, ideally he's the Bruce Brown replacement. You're not going to get a one for one. Bruce Brown is a $22 million player for a reason, but that guy will be getting minutes. Peyton Watson will be in line for big minutes, but there's other guys that have, that are interesting. Hunter Tyson, their second round selection looked really good in summer league. Yes, it's summer league, but he was a first team all selection. There's historically looking back at the first team. Um, a lot of those guys in years past have become NBA players. Uh, Julian Strother, another guy drafted out of Gonzaga, really good shooter. Big Jaylen, shot this year. Hit yeah, that big one. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Pickett, another guy, just five-year guy, really steady, feels like a 10-year vet already. So there's a lot to watch for um, outside of just a really good basketball team. There's that inflection or, or influx of youth kind of on this team, which is unusual. So for me, I'm really excited to watch that. You don't get to see that too often. Usually when you think youth, um, getting excited about rookies, second-year guys, you think teams that are rebuilding or teams that are in the stages, early stages of team building. And this Nuggets team, there's that excitement of, Hunter Tyson had 15 points today. We, what, that's really exciting. What can he turn into? Uh, Christian Brown is showing some evolution as a ball handler. Is that going to be something that's, you know, I guess um, yeah, it's replicable in a, in a bigger playoff setting. So long tangent essentially, but it's, it's interesting. It's a very uh, uniquely constructed championship team. That's one of the, that's one of the coolest things about cheering for a team or covering a team that has that, you know, whether it's like organizational or momentum of, of any sort, developmental momentum, is everybody who comes in the organization, you're like, oh, I wonder, you know, how they'll impact because it seems we get impact from everywhere and everybody seems to come in and do a decent thing and, and play their part. And, you know, it's not the same part. It's different parts that look different and succeed different. And it's all, you know, hovers around, you know, the, the circle of winning and that kind of stuff. And Raptors fans will certainly know what that was like. There was a very long sustained success, like, you know, seven straight years of just like, well, 
I guess, eight or nine. And then obviously with the championship, you know, sandwiched in towards the back, it's like, that's one of the coolest aspects is being hopeful. And Nuggets fans, chock full of it. A lot of hope going on (laughs) over there. And the Raptors, I hope they play some weird, unique basketball that just wins minutes and grinds out defensive possessions and runs out on, you know, in transition. I hope they find their way. It would be cool to watch. If this Raptors team is good, it means they're probably one of the most unique watches in the NBA in a good way. They might be one of the most unique watches in a kind of like a, hmm, what's going on way. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Matt. Any uh, any final things you want to say before we get out of here? Promote no. yourself. Tell people oh. to go to the Nuggets website. Yeah. Anything <laughs> like probably that. Probably do that, right? Uh, yeah, you can read my work, uh, nuggets.com. Um, all my, yeah, it's, everything's there. Uh, we're going to be doing some YouTube stuff, um, doing some video breakdown type stuff uh, over on the Nuggets YouTube. So that's definitely worth checking out. Um, and then, yeah, just follow any Nuggets social channel. X, I'm not used to that yet. Instagram. <laughs> There'll be stuff everywhere. I, I just, it's, this is, this is the first time I've ever said that. X, that, that felt, it's I Twitter. didn't like it. You it's know, Twitter. Eh. yeah, it's a tweet. <laughs> it's like, you know, no other, I don't know. It's it's a tweet. It's Twitter. I don't, yeah, go, go to Twitter. <laughs> yeah, something like um, that. And then follow me on Twitter, uh, X, whatever you want to call it, Matt Brooks MBA. Um, that's all. Hell yeah. Matt. <laughs> It's always like an absolute pleasure, of course, but you're looking extra handsome today. So just like you got, you got that championship shine to you. You know what I mean? You know, the hair is like really nicely done up the whole deal. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, my guy and listener. I hope you enjoyed the first episode. There's 28 more of these coming. Uh, all the favorites uh, that everybody remembers from last year, um, plus some more people. Uh, I don't know what episode is next, but I certainly hope you enjoy it. Matt, thank you. Everybody, we'll see you.